Welcome back, everyone. David Sullivan from uh, UH Ventures. This is episode 39 of the Health Voyages podcast series. As a reminder, you can find all prior series as well as a, a bunch of other useful information at ventures.uhhospitals.org. Hopefully you had a chance to listen to episode 38. That was with uh, John Shanahan, who is our Director of Clinical Informatics at uh, Seidman Cancer Center. A ton of uh, follow-up questions probably stemming from that conversation, so we look forward to uh, parts two, three, and onwards when it comes to all things AI and uh, how that might steer us to a new future. I am really excited today, episode 39, to have Dr. Randy Vince Jr. with us. Uh, Randy is the Director of Minority Men's Health at the Cutler Center for Men's Health. That's a that's a mouthful, Randy. And I, if I was eating peanut butter, I wouldn't I wouldn't get it out. But uh, welcome, really happy yeah. that you're uh, that you're here. Yeah, thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor. What uh, let's I'm going to do this in reverse order. First of all, what is the Cutler Center for Men's Health, Randy? Yeah, so the Cutler Center for Men's Health. The way I like to step back and think about it is, it's really, um, you know, in part of visionary idea from Lee Ponsky, who was the chair of urology, um, to maximize men's health. And when we say maximize, it's really to improve it because most men don't have a primary care physician and they don't go to um, the doctors, right? And so how can we remove the barriers that cause men not to go to the doctors? How can we make it more convenient? How can, you know, we improve the customer experience or the patient experience? So um, all of those things were implemented um, within this. So whether you're talking about the Joe team, which actually helps patients with navigating the healthcare system and, you know, scheduling appointments, radiology tests, you name it, um, or including, you know, what I'm you know, kind of helping to run the minority men's health perspective because there are certain challenges that exist within the minority men's health community um, that need to be addressed as well. So all of those things kind of encompass the Cutler Center for Men's Health. You know, you, you've you touched on a topic I'd love to, to drill more deeply into. Um, before I do that, mm-hmm. Give us a sense of your arc that brought you to the place that you're currently at. I've had the uh, the privilege of visiting with you before and, mm-hmm. and having this conversation, and it's a it's a fascinating story, and uh, yeah. it proves that uh, there isn't a straight line between two points. But uh, share some of your story, Randy. I think the listeners would love it. Yeah, you know, so in terms of where I'm at now in my journey or my career, it's it's really just based off of personal experience, really. Um, so, you know, I come from very humble beginnings. Um, I was originally from West Baltimore, which um, has its own inherent struggles. You know, there's a lot of struggles when they talk about um you know, infestation with drugs, poverty, violence, the whole nine. So um, I saw all of that growing up. But, you know, one of the things that was really instilled in me was this sense of service. You know, how can um, you help other people not necessarily have an interest in helping yourself, but how can you help others? And so all along the way, that kind of just stuck with me. The other thing is, you know, um, being from an underserved community, as I moved around the country and I saw it in different areas, I said, man, I don't think this is just specific to one city, right? There's a systems issue. And how can I be of service to those that are most underserved? And so 
you know, whether it's what I did in college or, you know, um, medical school, residency, fellowship, all of those things um, as along my medical journey, there's been a focus on serving the underserved community and really trying to push towards health equity and equity across all aspects of life, really. So it's just so happened that I'm a surgeon, right? So um, within the healthcare field, that's kind of the lane that I can push the hardest for. But, you know, really the drive is to create a more equitable society. So that's my journey in a nutshell. What type of surgery do you focus on? I do urologic oncology. So um, even with that, when I talk about personal experiences, I didn't even know what urology was as a field when I entered medical school. Um, it was an experience that I had with my grandmother um, who was diagnosed with kidney cancer and did not get the surgery that she should have had that allowed me to know what the field of urology was. And, you know, urologists are the surgeons who would do that procedure. And now, you know, Fast forward all these years, my grandmother came to her disease, unfortunately. But it was really like that was the inspiration for me to go into this field. And so now, you know, when I see patients, like I recently had a patient within the past month who had more aggressive disease or more advanced disease than my grandmother, I was able to operate on him and he, you know, did wonderfully after surgery. Um, so, you know, that was the inspiration and it's a pleasure and an honor and a blessing to be able to be in that position to help give people more time with their family members than what I felt like I had lost. Incredible story. And I suppose um, when it comes to healthcare, many of us are drawn to service and mm -hmm. mission by virtue of uh, of experience, and uh, that's a, that's an incredible story. Your family, much of your family, still back in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so majority of my family still there. Um, we've had some family members that have moved out outside of Baltimore, you know, for for different reasons, um, but the vast majority is still there. Yeah, you know what you're looking to solve for from a from an equity perspective is a monumental task. Um, we're the architects of the problem. And, uh, you know, one could infer, therefore, that we should be able to to um, manifest a solution. It's very, very complicated. It's obviously charged now during this a, a current uh, political social environment that is uh, not helpful. Right. There's a lot of empirical evidence mm. that outcomes uh, are improved when physician and patient look the same. Yeah. When you can treat a patient that looks like you or be treated by a physician that has a, um, a similar life experience, um, there's, there's irrefutable evidence in terms of, of outcome. And yet, when we look at the stats from the perspective of the number of physicians of color who are coming through the pipeline, um, it's... Um, we're we're not trending in the right direction. You can't solve for it, Randy, but give us some thoughts around how we might want to think about helping our own cause when it comes to the uh, uh, attracting, the, the, the nurturing, the, the attracting, the recruiting of physicians. of. Yeah, I, I think you use the key word, the pipeline, right? Because, um, and I think that's, you know, so relevant that we use that word because when you think about a pipe, it can have leaks at different points, right? And so when you talk about the pipeline going from childhood all the way to becoming a physician, we're losing, you know, young people all along the, that pipeline, you know? Um, and so whether you're talking about, you know, um, just not seeing anyone who looks like you from your community, that's a physician, right? Having that exposure to the medical field, that's one way that you can lose people. Um, we know that education inequalities exist, and that's a way you can lose people. The standardized testing that you have to undergo to get into medical school um, 
or college, you know, um, there's a leg up if you come from financial means and can take preparatory courses. And so that's another way you can lose people. So I think just as, as you said, within the healthcare field, um, we have been part of the problem, right? And part of um, the creators of the problem. And so I think we need to be more intentional about how we engage our communities um, to kind of create pipeline programs where we can fill in those gaps and patch up those leaks. You know, as you know, we are all collectively partnering with Selena Kananen, mm-hmm. our our chief uh, diversity, equity, and belonging officer around trying to create that. Acknowledging to your point that if our first interaction with prospective medical student is at the college level, candidly, we know they might not be prepared mm-hmm. to get through organic chemistry or, or anatomy, etc., mm-hmm. because their path to get to the point to get into school yeah. might not have adequately prepared them. And right. so there is energy around how we actually start that engagement process, you know, at the at the middle school to high school. Mm-hmm. Hand-to-hand combat. We can't do this on a macro basis. We're right. going to have to find some, some ways to pilot and yeah. uh, get a success story through the pipeline and then make it three and then make it a dozen. But create this this co-ownership and responsibility mm-hmm. uh, for physicians to be mentoring and 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 monitoring and uh, assisting these students starting at the high school level yeah. all the way through you know their MCATs and their right. inter residency etc. Um, lightening the topic slightly, mm-hmm. you know, you at the opening you talked about the fact that we as men just don't take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my wife probably has a pretty dis- you know, distinct set of uh, uh, answers as to 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 why men aren't uh, aren't doing what they should be doing. But she's yeah. not in the booth with us today, mm-hmm. fortunately. Why are men so reticent to take ownership of their own health? You know, I think one of the like, if I'm being completely transparent, for us as men, we have to know why it's important in order to take action, right? So for most of us, especially with the male bravado, we feel good, you know? So it's like, okay, why do I need to go to the doctors? I feel good. You know, my energy level's good. Um, and we don't go until something's wrong. And so one of the things that I'm constantly, when I do outreach events or a talk, is to try to allow men to understand the importance of going to the doctors, the importance of screenings, the importance of preventative medicine, because you want to kind of get involved before something goes wrong. And one of the things I'm also constantly preaching to guys is that when you start to have symptoms, regardless of the disease, um, whatever the disease is, when you have symptoms from it, it's usually because it's far gone, right? It's pretty advanced. So that's why we want to get in front of these things because knowledge is power. And so when you actually have a knowledge of what's going on with your body, then you can make changes to kind of stare off any, you know, potential devastating um, outcomes. And so I think that's part of the reason why men, you know, kind of just don't go to the doctors because we feel good at at baseline. And it's like, okay, why do I need to go? But we have to make it so that way they know why it's important to them. I resemble everything you've just said. For years and years and years, I felt good at baseline. I ignored a family history. uh, And by the time symptoms occurred, I ended up uh, uh, in an OR. And uh, now I'm a frequent flyer when it comes to Cutler. I I, I was one of the very early calls to Joe. And uh, I feel like I'm having a a concierge uh, experience Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to my health. I I feel like I have a quarterback. Yeah. And um, it's changed the way in which I, th- I, I, I can dial a friend. I have yeah. a lifeline now when it comes to the, the issues that impact me. And I take my health care very seriously now. Mm-hmm. But it took an almost a catastrophic event to push me to that point. Yeah. Um, 
And then, of course, this puts a disproportional burden on women, doesn't it? Because then they become the caregivers for the entire family, and that's a, that's a, uh, th- that's a, an exacerbating uh, mm-hmm. I- issue issue as well. Yeah. So, how is the Cutler Center for Men's Health differentiating itself, and how are you managing to chip away at the edges from the perspective of minority men's health? Mm-hmm. So, again, it's you know, it is that concierge or, you know, that customer experience, right? Um, eliminating those barriers. I think that's one of the most important things that we can't drive home enough is, you know, one, we want to get the message out there. But then two, when guys come and they say, okay, I do want to go to the doctor, eliminating the barriers that come along with that, right? For finding a physician or getting an appointment or any of those things. So you do have someone who it can be that quarterback for you. Um, and I think you touched on a point um, when we talk about the burden that it puts on females. And one of the things that I tell gentlemen a lot of times is think about what our communities would look like if we had more fathers, uncles, grandfathers around for a longer period of time to be able to impart wisdom on young men as they grow up, right? Rather than us dying 10, 15 years earlier than women do, right? So I can act, like vividly remember having great experiences and, you know, joyful memories with both my grandmother. But, you know, my dad's father, he died before I was even born. And, you know, my mom's father, he died when I was very young. So, you know, while I have memories with him, it's not as robust as I had with my grandmother, right? And that's the story for way too many of us. And so I think if we start to look at it from a different perspective, then we can start to really make change. And when it comes to the minority men's health, again, it's why is this important to you, right? Um, and so, I, you know, I go a little bit off script sometimes when we have these discussions at outreach events because one of the things that I know is very important to men are erections, right, and the ability to have sex. Sexual health is something that's really important to men. So if I can tie in, you know, sexual health to getting screened for blood, high blood pressure, getting screened for diabetes, getting screened for high cholesterol, and how all of these things can now impact your sexual health and your testosterone levels, then men start to actually sit up and say, hold on, let me take note of this, you know? So that's one way so of just... So you're marketing, try- guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just one way of, again, making it um, so that way men know why it's important. How long have we, you, been on this journey? Mm-hmm. And can you point to any sort of measurable successes or outcomes? How do we know that this model, this this new modality of, of potentially care delivery for men is actually working? Yeah. So, um, you know, as you know, David, I, I haven't even reached my one year mark here at UH, but no pressure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but, you know, I think it's just being very um, thoughtful and conscientious about how we collect and talk about measurables, right? So for me, if we see an increase in men coming in for primary care physicians, that's a win. Um, physician visits, excuse me, that's a win. If we see more men undergoing preventative health screenings, that's a win, right? So ultimately, the more men that we can have come in and engage with the healthcare system, I think all of those things are a win. And so we have to continue to um, take take ownership of that and just measure those things. Where's the puck going, Randy, from the perspective of either innovation or novel models? What, what do you see on the horizon that's going to, and, and not necessarily constrained to men's health, mm-hmm. you know, broadening the viewfinder, what do you think, what excites you? What do you see coming that excites you? 
Yeah, in the healthcare space specifically, I do feel like, you know, this there's been a renewed push towards health equity, which is, you know, something that's near and dear to my heart, as you can tell. Um, but also, you mentioned about your conversation with uh, John Shanahan with AI. That's also something that I'm, you know, immensely interested in, um, because I think we've seen it in other fields where AI can help with decision making, um, help pinpoint problems. And I think we can have a similar application within the health healthcare field that would allow us to better care for our patients. Dr. Vince, we could spend hours talking uh, about this, and uh, uh, I, I ask you to uh, to be willing to come back again for another episode as we continue to have these, uh, these critically important conversations. Absolutely. As we usually do when we close a conversation, we ask our guests to uh, to share some of their wisdom. Any any interesting books you're reading right now or podcasts you're listening to, and it doesn't yeah. have to be healthcare. <laughs> yeah, so actually, most of the books and podcasts that I listen to are not healthcare related at all. So I'll give you um, actually two. So one is a book, one is a podcast. So there's a book um, called Manage Your Day-to-Day, um, Build Your Routine. Um, sharpen your focus and your creative mind. Essentially, I started to read that because, you know, I've read the reviews. They were amazing. And at one point after starting this position, I just sat back and I looked and I said, wait a second. I'm in clinic two days a week. I'm operating one or two days a week. I have all these other things that are priorities to me. I need to learn how to better manage my schedule. And one of the things that this book taught me was how to really protect your most creative time, right? And for me, that that's really between 6.30 and 10 in the morning. Um, also, to not feel guilty about putting off responding to emails till later on in the afternoon, because you spend hours trying to clear your inbox. Um, the other one is through is a podcast called Throughline um, by NPR. And because we talk about why things are the way they are in our society. Um, as the title suggests, it's a through line. They actually examine a through line from historical acts or events to current day implications. And I love that because oftentimes when we talk about pushing for equity, um, we need to see where the foundation was. So we can't, you know, rebuild the house if it's still on a shaky foundation. Um, and so when we talk about health equity, a lot of times I tell people specifically around racial disparities, if we don't understand and actually start to think about how we got to this point, then we'll continue to fail with the, you know, initiatives that we create. So those are a book and a podcast that I, <laughs> I'm currently partaking fabulous, in. Fabulous. And in terms of the podcast, you know, underscoring the importance of uh, not conveniently rewriting history. And uh, again, probably a deep conversation unto itself. <laughs> Dr. Vince, thank you so much yes, for uh, for being with us. We look forward to the uh, to the next opportunity. And with that, I uh, bid everyone a good day. 